quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Sometimes the management company will put that responsibility on the responsibility of the site team, the leasing agent, the property manager. That's not great because typically they don't know what they're looking at and they're not really qualified for that. So hopefully you've got someone on site. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hey, Best Ever listeners, this is Matt Faircloth and welcome to the Best Ever Real Estate Investing Advice Show. I'm your host today and I've got the DeRosa team here with me that's going to be talking about all things multifamily fundamentals for you. In this short series that we've created for the best ever audience, we're going to be talking all things multifamily. So whether you're a multifamily passive investor or a multifamily operator, you'll be getting all kinds of tips and tricks that you can bring to your multifamily investing business each episode, everything from forming investor relationships, finding markets, to finding deals, to bringing those deals to fruition. All those things are going to be presented in this series that we're super excited to be presenting to you today. So let's get started. What is going on, Best Ever community? It's Matt Faircloth again here, looking forward to yet another great episode. And want to just say that I'm grateful for you guys listening, and I'm grateful for the Best Ever communities, given the DeRosa Group and our company an opportunity to come and talk some multifamily operations, multifamily chat with you guys over the last couple of weeks. We hope you guys have enjoyed the episodes we've created about how to attract money to your business from passive investors how to pick the right market for you to invest in, what the team for multifamily operations look like. And today, I humbly must admit, we're going to talk about where money in multifamily really gets made. Guys, if you listen to social media, money gets made when you buy a deal. It's just, I, I bought a multifamily property. Look what I did. Or I raised lots of money. Look what I can do. Those kinds of things. Those are all big flash in the pan kind of things. But the real money in multifamily ownership gets made by my partner here, Justin Fraser. Justin, the Rainmaker, welcome to the show today. How are you? I like that title. Yeah, I'm great. <laughs> I love talking about asset management. We don't talk about it nearly enough, folks. So yeah, we're here to talk about asset management and the importance of asset management in multifamily, whether it's a duplex, a tenplex, or a 200, 300 plex. We're going to talk about all of that and, and how asset management is really the most important part. Of and we should underscore that because Justin and I and our company, the DeRosa Group, we buy 80, 90, 100 units or north, multi-hundred unit apartment complexes. So that is what our reference point is. That said, everything we're going to talk about in today's episode could be applied to the 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 unit apartment building that you might be aspiring to purchase yourself or that you might already own. So you can transpose a lot of what we're going to talk about into smaller real estate. The rules that we're going to talk about today do not have to only be in large real estate deals. So if you need to filter a little bit, if you need to transpose a bit of it to your size of real estate, that is okay. So Justin, let's hop in, man. So I'll do a lot of pretending, but in some ways I'm being the voice of the listener here. Asset management, I thought I'd just buy real estate and just hand the keys to the property manager and they send me monthly checks. Sounds great. Doesn't it? <laughs> yes. I thought that's uh, that what I get to fantastic. do. Yeah. Listen, you, when you buy a multifamily property of any size, are buying a business. You are buying a business with budgets, 
people, with marketing, with real expenses. What does every business have? Someone that is in charge of that business, right? You need a CEO, you need a leader, you need somebody who is directing and owning that business. Matt, you wouldn't buy a huge company and just hand it over to a third-party management and be like, hey, good luck with my huge investment, right? We're not going to do the same here. This is your investment. This is your project. You've worked hard to find this deal. You worked hard to raise all the money. You assembled the team. You did your due diligence. Now you've got to run this thing. You got to manage the manager. Even if I do buy a piece of real estate, which we have done at DeRosa, which we do, we have used third-party property managers and we've managed ourselves. We've done both. You still need to manage the manager, whether that manager is yourself or is a third-party company. There is a owner set of eyes that need to be involved in these types of real estate deals, right? So that owner set of eyes, that owner effort is the asset management piece of the business. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So Justin, you and I did an episode about due diligence. We've done episodes about underwriting here as contributions to this. I strongly suggest that you guys all go back and listen to those because those are great conversations. But to bring it home today, once a deal has been bought, there has been an underwriting journey that said, pretty much, here's the plan. If we're going to buy a property where rents are currently at 850 bucks, but the units all need a spruce up, they all need an upgrade, they all need kitchens and bathroom upgrades and new appliances, and maybe there needs to be a playground or a community asset built in. And with those things, tenants would love to pay us a little bit more money in exchange for all those improvements. So that's part of the business plan. And then part of the business plan could be that these roofs are starting to show their age and maybe we could need some new roofs or maybe there is no landscaping and we need landscaping. Maybe these are just big brick boxes out in a field and maybe we need to make this property feel a little bit more welcome by painting the exteriors, putting some plants around the outside of them or something like that. That's all part of the plan that it takes to bring the property to fruition. And then on top of that, you validate your budgets during the due diligence phase, all of which Justin is a major part of. But then once you own the asset, there needs to be, as you said, a business manager and implementer of that plan. A person that's going to go and crack the whip, so to speak, on the property manager and on the team, the contractors, to bring that deal to fruition. And of course, tweak the plan as changes arise because nothing's static, is it? So that's my take on asset management. So Justin, your thoughts on the asset manager as implementer of that business plan, their response that they created, they're part of the creation team of it, and then they have to drive it. Look, I said at the beginning, you're buying a business. With every business we buy, we write a business plan. And this comes from the underwriting, right? We're going to take these units. We're going to invest in XYZ level renovations. We're going to spend this many dollars. I'm expecting to get this in rent. This needs to be written down and be very, very clear. We need to tackle the retaining walls. We need to tackle the landscaping. We need to tackle the plumbing. Whatever the CapEx budget is, let's talk about what those things are when they need to be done, the order of priority. It might make sense that we have to go and do a whole signage and safety package before we can renovate because the property can't get those rents because it looks like a dump. So let's fix those things. Then we can renovate units. Then we can get higher rent. That sort of strategy level has to come from ownership. The local management team is going to help you. They're going to be the implementers. They're going to be the people doing the doing, but they're not going to be the people thinking about the strategy, thinking about what you promised investors, how the underwriting works, how the business side of this works. That's where the asset manager comes in. 
outside of the property, the asset manager is going to be responsible for things like making sure the insurance policy covers what we need and we're getting insurance requests done, lender requests and reporting. There's all these other things that happen outside of the property, the day to day that the asset manager is going to be responsible for to make sure that this business is successful. Absolutely. And they're going to have to drive and tweak. So the asset manager can only be in two places. They can either be on their desk or they can be at the property. So let's start at what the desk management side of asset management looks like. So when you're not in the field, what are some of the actions that an effective asset manager that's running that business plan needs to do to bring that property to profitable fruition? It starts with being informed. So for every property we have, no matter how large or how small, we're meeting with our property management team at least once a week. We're meeting to talk about occupancy, the renovation status, the contractors that are on the property, the projects that need funding, the new issue, the new inspector that's coming out to look at something. We're talking about all the operations on what happened last week, what's happening this week. We're talking about the goals, the things we're working towards, the types of projects we want to start getting bids on, all these things we want to talk about in our weekly status call. If your property is large enough, it might have multiple staff members. So we might be asking our manager about staffing issues and is there something going on or can we be better? Do we need to hire a groundskeeper this year because the grounds are dirty? Do we need to bring on more maintenance because the maintenance team is stretched? All these things go into sort of your weekly status call and we're talking about the health and the operations of the business. Outside of that, I'm now taking the data that I get from that, the data that I get from our property management software, and I'm reporting out to the rest of the team. So we have a dashboard that we use where we show key metrics, key indicators for the rest of our partnership team. So we show things like occupancy, economic occupancy. We show number of units renovated. We show our expense ratio, a few other things, budgets, comparison, NOI, dollars in, dollars out, amount collected, all these things that we've decided are key indicators for the health of these properties. No one thing says this property is healthy. If you had to pick one, most people pick occupancy as the main key. But just because we have people in there doesn't mean they're all paying. So that's where we get to the next level of how much money is this property actually making. So we look at all these things, we put it into a dashboard and we show the rest of our team. So I've got the reporting out to the rest of our team. Then there's the ongoing lender reporting insurance coordination, all these other things, ebb and flow kind of come in. Usually quarterly, we've got some bigger reporting happening. And then there's also the whole side of the money and the construction management process, which one I will get into, but managing the construction, managing the flow of money, making sure that the books are done the right way. I'm not a bookkeeper, but I manage our bookkeeper. So all these other pieces of controlling the flow of money is a huge piece of asset management. Yeah. Before we move on, when you're talking to the property management team, whether that's in-house or a third party, what are the KPIs, the key performance indicator? Everybody, this is a buzzword of the last couple of years. Thanks, Gino Wickman and Traction. The KPIs, when you're talking to the PM team, meaning the things that really matter that if they're moving in the right direction, they're going to be contributing to at least 80% of the success for the property. So what are the KPIs when you're talking to the property management team that you are making the, the forefront of the conversation? We might get really deep with some KPIs. So the things that I report out to our team, which I just mentioned, occupancy and collections, that's something we're talking about with the site team, but we're also talking about much deeper. So we're going to look at things like how long is it taking to get a unit renovated? What is our turnaround process? Is it two weeks? Is it 10 days? Is it five days? What is our 
process timeline there. Then we're looking at when that unit is ready, how long is it sitting vacant before we fill it up? Even then when we sign a lease, what is the time from lease signing to move in? Because I could renovate this unit, have it done today, but if I sign a lease to start two months from now for that unit, that unit is now off the shelf. I've just lost two months of revenue. So we're gonna get really granular sometimes because a lot of times it's those little tweaks that say we don't rent a unit for more than two weeks out because that's gonna get more dollars in the door. And so we're managing that. We're also looking at renewals, talking about when we're renewing, are they coming up to market rate? Are they just coming up a $50 bump or a 2% bump or something like that? So we're looking at the really granular details on the renewal rates there. So timing and dollars really for everything. Collections, of course, evictions, we'll get into the process on who's not paying, how much have we collected. One thing about collections, Matt, on a smaller property, most people might pay the rent between the first and the fifth. Rent's due on the fifth, right? Most people pay by the fifth. On a larger multifamily, you have to realize rent collection happens the entire duration of the month. It's front loaded. And usually in the first 10 days, we might collect 60, 70% of our rent. But a lot of times we don't collect the rest of that until the end of the month. We have habitual late payers, people that their pay period just doesn't sync up with how they want to pay rent. People even pay the late fee and they always pay on the third week of the month, but they always include that late fee. And so there's a person management, a resident management that happens with our site team saying, yeah, on the 7th, we're filing for eviction, posting our late notices and all that. But we know that of the 20 evictions we just posted or, or started the process on, we know that these 10 guys, they always pay in week three. So we're going to go through that process, but we know they're going to pay in week three because that's just the process. So those are the kinds of things where we'll be talking with the manager about and they'll understand and be able to say, they know the residents don't freak out about this, but yeah, these are the issues. And so a lot of it is just trying to understand and predict forward how the rest of the month is going to go as well. There's also the other side of it. There's income, but there's also expense management as well. So there's just inside of it of looking at the utility bills or the expenses that are going out the door and managing that. Why is this high? Why is that low? Those kinds of things, because those are things that all flow to the bottom line for the property. And I'm not saying the property manager doesn't care how quick a unit gets leased or whether or not a tenant pays their rent or whether your water bill was double what it was the month before, those kinds of things. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you care more than they do about it, okay? And it is not their primary compensating factors that puts money in their pocket or does not put money in their pocket. So a good property manager is certainly going to be your arms and legs and your implementer of those kinds of things. But you might need to be the one as the owner to point out to them that the water bill was double what it should have been and to have them go out and find that leak that is clearly existing or the, the toilet flapper that needs to be replaced or something like that. Some things can be controlled, Matt. So let's say a landscaping contract. We're going to enter a new landscaping contract every year. It's going to be a fixed rate. I'm going to pay X thousands of dollars for this scope and the landscaping. So month over month, that's not going to vary too much. The only time it might vary is if it snows. Okay, now they do the snow or maybe an annual flower thing, but that's all built in the contract. What does fluctuate is with the maintenance team. So yeah, summer, we're going to get a lot of AC calls. We know that's going to happen. But let's say, Matt, we start looking literally at the details, at the expense, every little expense, and we start looking and seeing that Every time a resident calls with a no heat call, the manager, instead of sending maintenance to look at it, calls the HVAC company. This is, hey, HVAC company, 
my tenant just reported that their heat is not working. Well, the HVAC company will come out, they'll look at it. And Charge then they you 500 bucks. <laughs> Usually not, but here's the thing. They write on those invoices exactly what happened. So I'll do a spot check and I'll go through and I'll see, oh, $150 charge, $150 charge, $150 charge. Let me open that up and see what happened. They're all the same amount. Oh, called, went to the property, resident has a thermostat off. Turn thermostat on, left. Here's your $150 bill. That's the kind of thing where a manager, the site team is being lazy. And everyone can agree that there's just laziness there. And they're saying, I'm going to call this third party. It cost me $150 times every single instance that that happened. Versus if we just send our maintenance tech out or someone walks over, checks the thermostat, says, hey, you got to flip that on switch, then you're good to go. So these are the kinds of things that you can get as detailed as possible, but we do spot check and we do look at expenses like that because that is the thing. Now this manager's just running expenses wild where it's real dollars. Could be thousands of dollars a month that we're just wasting when I'm already paying a maintenance tech, a full-time salary. They can just walk over and check that kind of thing. So when to call a vendor, when to bring in a contractor is a huge thing for saving dollars and having your maintenance do it. Team and that's why, and that's where the asset manager really needs to audit the financial performance of the property on a monthly basis and ask the right questions. Moving forward, Justin, so let's say the asset manager then leaves their desk and either drives to the asset or puts himself on an airplane and goes out and visits the property. Some of our properties are remote at DeRosa. You live in, in North Carolina and some of the properties that we own and manage are in North Carolina as well. So whether these assets are around the corner listener from where you live or an airplane ride from where you live, whatever it may be, it is important to get boots on the ground. You got to get out there and put your shoes on the ground of the property that you own on a regular basis. I keep making this joke, but it's only because there is a misconception of passive ownership of real estate looks like. Someone needs to take the action that's on the ownership side, not the property manager. If you're a passive investor in real estate, I can assure you there is someone that's active, like DeRosa is, that's implementing the plan. So if you're on the active side of real estate ownership, then you or somebody on your team is out there physically walking the property, putting their shoes where the tenant's shoes are, walking the paths and looking at things from the ownership set of eyes. So Justin, when you go to the property, what are you looking for? Let's say you're planning a trip to, let's say, Kentucky, where many of our properties are. What do you do ahead of time before you go? And what do you look to do while you're there? So we start with why. Why should the asset manager go? There's a million reasons, but we need to check. Again, this is our asset. We are in control. We have to be in control of this asset. So we've got to be a check for our managers. We've got to provide support for our managers. And sometimes there's just a relationship building that has to happen. So before every trip, I actually make a plan for each asset. So sometimes in Kentucky, we've got a lot of assets sort of in the same neighborhood. And so we're going to go see all of them every trip. But previously, when I was in New Jersey, come down to North Carolina, if we just had one asset at the time, it's like, let's make the plan. Who do I need to meet with? What decisions have to be made? What am I curious about? What do I need to see? So I will be pretty deliberate about it. And by the way, for me, I always announce it. Some owners do unannounced visits. I don't like that because I want to make sure that the people I need to meet with are actually going to be there. I'm not going to go put myself on a plane and be surprised and everyone is at the team holiday party or has a vacation day or whatever else. And now I've just wasted my entire trip. So I prefer to announce it ahead of time. Some people like the surprise spot check. So for me, I'm going to be out there in two weeks. 
here's who I want to meet with. Here's my plan. So typically we'll start with the site team, right? These are the people that are in control of your property, that the maintenance team is in the units, the site team in the office, the people that are coming in to pay the rent are interacting with these people. So I want to go in there. Usually, by the way, I'll bring a box of donuts or cookies or something. Just thanks. I'm here. Let me show up with a box of donuts. It cost me a few bucks. Goes a little bit to bring some goodwill to the team. So I show up, box of donuts. Let's chat. Tell me what's on your mind. I want to talk to each individual staff member. And it's not a huge formal interview or whatever, but just kind of casual presenting myself. What's on your mind? What's going on? How are you feeling? Tell me about what's going on at the property. And usually because they know you're coming, the team's got a list of things that they want to vent to you. Either I got to vent about this or I got to tell you that. But ideally, they're excited and they're excited to show you the progress. So that's where we've gotten to our teams is when we show up on property, they're like, I can't wait to show you this unit that we just renovated. Or let me show you my storage unit that's all clean and you can see all the fridges we have lined up or like whatever it is. You want to like really encourage your site team to be excited to share with you. I want to pause you on on something here because I think that you take that for granted that that's what you've created. But the compliment I have for you and the way that you're running your asset management team, and I really want to convey to the listeners here that the way to properly asset manage anything and the way to manage anything in life, I think, is through transparency. And I think that Justin has created an environment where it's not like the emperor is coming down from his throne and everything better be spotless when he shows up or heads will roll and everything better be perfect and they have to put on a front and don't make eye contact with Justin too long or he'll bite your head off or whatever. You want to have a level of transparency and that might mean that it's okay for the property management team to approach you with this awful thing called a problem and that they're okay to discuss it with them. They don't expect you to, that you're going to bite their head off and bark at them if they show up with a problem or something they can't figure out. That it's, hey, listen, I'm a team member with you. I'm here to help you solve this problem. And let's together discuss that this maintenance shed probably isn't at our best, is it? Let's agree to that. And the next time you go out, I bet you it'll look a little bit better if you present to them that we can do better with this. And this isn't something we're proud of, is it? Then they're going to be excited to show that to you. I've seen property management arrangements with owners become toxic where the property manager ends up hiding stuff from the owner because they just don't feel like getting their head bitten off. There's not that level of transparency. And so listener, I encourage you guys to create a safe space where the property manager and the contractors and all those are okay to discuss problems or okay to discuss issues and you're there to collaborate with them and give them by whens and timelines and resources to make things better. That is the way you create win-win relationships when you're on site and have people excited to talk about things with you and show you what we're up to and, dare I say, proud of the work that they've done for you as the owner. And there's a quick, easy response to start this process, Matt, because either they're going to bring you a problem or as you're walking, you're going to see something. And instead of pointing or stamping your foot and saying, this needs to be fixed, I'm just going to ask, what do you think about this? So... It could be literally anything. It could be a fence that's falling down. It could be a disorganized maintenance shed, as you said. So I'll start by saying, tell me what's going on here. What do you think about this? Oh, yeah, a car ran into this fence and it fell down. Okay. What do you think we should do about it? Now I'm empowering them because they know they have an idea of what they should do about it. If you were writing the check, what would you do about this? So they might say, oh, we've got to replace it. Or, you know, I had an idea that we could try maybe repairing it with this other thing that we had over here. So 
empowering them to make decisions, empowering the site teams to have ownership over their domain. Everyone's got a domain. It could be the groundskeeper. It doesn't matter what level they are on the property. They have a domain. They want to be viewed as the expert in that domain. And so I let them do that. Hey, tell me, right? And so, yeah, I know the trash should be picked up. We all know the trash should be picked up, but if there's trash that's not picked up, I'm going to try to understand why. what's going on here. Oh, I got so busy helping out maintenance team with this other call. I haven't had time to do this. Okay. What do you think we should do about that? Do you need more dedicated time? Do you need them to stop calling you for other things? How can we maybe eliminate some things that can help you do your job? Oh, well, if I had a golf cart, I could do this in half the time. Okay. That's an idea. I mean, I'll prove that right away, but it's going to get us thinking about maybe some creative ways that maybe there's something we can do that I can provide. Actually, golf carts were in the budget. So you know what? Let's prioritize that for this year instead of next year. And let's get you what you need so that you can do your job a little more. It could be on smaller real estate too, guys. I can tell you, I used to own a 10 unit in New Jersey and the basement was just unused. So we turned part of it into a small maintenance shed for our local team so that they didn't have to go running 20 minutes away to go get the tools that they needed. So we would put in that little maintenance shed, the most common things, maybe a couple of toilet flappers, maybe a couple of small pieces of remnant sheetrock, maybe a few tools, those kinds of things. So they could just be more effective when on site. Maintenance techs loved it. We loved it because they're able to be that much effective and it was necessary to be there. They needed that stuff anyway. So it made them that much more effective and it showed that we cared about the asset. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. A 1031 exchange is one of the greatest tools to build your real estate portfolio. But before you sell your next investment property, if you want to save thousands in capital gains taxes, please give our friends at 1031 Pros a call. Whether you're an individual investor, title company, or real estate agent, 1031 Pros is ready to help you or your clients with their 1031 exchange needs. With over 30 years of experience, 1031 Pros specializes in various types of exchanges like delayed, simultaneous, reverse, and improvement exchanges in all 50 states, all while ensuring your transaction is fast, reliable, transparent, and secure. 1031 Pros has handled over 20,000 audit-free exchanges, and right now, best ever listeners can get $250 off any exchange by visiting my1031pros.com slash best ever. That's my1031pros.com slash best ever to get $250 off today. Have you heard that Mint, the popular personal finance app, is shutting down? If you use Mint, that's bad news. The good news is that there's an even better alternative, Monarch Money. Monarch gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with others. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com best ever. Most personal finance apps are clunky and cluttered with ads. Monarch is different. Its intuitive design makes setup, customization, and everyday use simple and easy. Monarch is also the most customizable budgeting app available. You can change your dashboard layout, create custom budgets and notifications, and even invite your partner, accountant, or financial advisor to have a joint view of your finances at no extra cost. Once you try Monarch for yourself, you'll understand why it was named 2024's best budgeting app by the Wall Street Journal. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash best ever. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash best ever for your extended 30-day free trial. Justin, let me transition here. I'm going to give you a hypothetical situation. Let's say someone listening here isn't at the level yet that they own 100-unit, 200-unit apartment building, so it doesn't financially make sense for them to put themselves on an airplane. 
there's enough in the budget to put yourself on an airplane. And if you're, if you're in a one, 200 unit apartment building, you can do that at least on a quarterly basis. But let's pretend somebody owns a 10 unit a couple of states away, that the ability for them to financially go out and visit the asset may be limited. They might be using a lot of the cash flow they got on the property over the next couple of months if they go and go see it. How can you be those boots on the ground? Let's riff a little bit. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but I want to serve our listeners. And let's say somebody's got a smaller multifamily and they need to represent the feeling of those boots on the ground. They can do the desk work that you and I talked about, but what about the on-site work on a smaller asset that there's not the budget to go and do as many site tours as maybe they'd like to do? So I do think that you have to have some baseline, whether it's the first time you visited the property or closed on it, or a year later, you maybe can only go once a year. It is important to have some level of frequency where you are on site because Nothing is going to 100% replace you being on site. That being said, of course, it can be very expensive. We can't be flying to Kentucky every other week to go check on our assets. So we have to, one, when we are there, set very clear expectations about what we're looking for, taking photos of things and then following up. But two, empowering the team that you have there. So again, having them take ownership and feel like last time I was there, we saw a lot of the gutters were busted up. Give me a status update. Shoot me some pictures. The phones in our pocket can be extremely helpful for this, right? It's video not just a phone anymore. That is a video camera and live streaming device. So, so your property manager great, could go video and... Calls. Sometimes we've done this in the past. It's like, hey, maintenance guy, let's just do a video call and show me what's happening in that unit. You got questions for me? Cool. Let's get on a video call. So then it's it's not a full substitute but it can be. The other thing, hopefully, is that you are building relationships in the markets that you're investing in. And hopefully, you've got a buddy or two that lives in that town or nearby, a trusted contractor, another investor that you met when you went to a meetup, something like that. Because ideally, if you can't do it, maybe you've got someone that's nearby that can do some of that check and be some eyes and ears for you. We did that. And I'm glad you went there because that is a, a real solution that before we hit critical mass in Kentucky, let's say when we were at one apartment building there, and there just wasn't a budget, our team wasn't as deep to go out there and get boots on the ground on a regular basis. We went out to visit the property ourselves and then we went to a local RIA and then met another real estate investor at the RIA that was like, I want to get at a larger multifamily. I'm looking to raise my game, looking to get to the next level. And we said, hey, we have an idea. How about we pay you? Certainly much less than a plane ticket would cost us. How about we pay you to walk this property and fill out this checklist? Here it is. We're handing it to you. How about you fill out this checklist every two weeks, shoot some pictures. If there is trash on the ground and a property looks a little unkept, tell us about it. Tour the vacant units, make sure that things are moving along and answer the questions we ask you to ask when you're out there. And we wrote them a check to do that. It was 50 bucks, 100 bucks, something like that. Much. And listen, you don't even have to pay somebody. How often, Matt, do we go to networking meetings, virtual or in person, and someone is new to the industry, new to business, and they're like, let me know if I can ever help. That's such a very general sort of nebulous request. But if I've got something in mind, like I need someone to walk my property every two weeks, I might be able to stand up at that meeting when I do come to town and say, hey, guys. I own multifamily here in town. I need your help. I need somebody's help. Could be a local realtor, local contractor, local other investor looking to get started. 
And maybe they're willing to go do that for you in exchange for you answering some questions for them every now and then or helping them underwrite a deal. Or there's definitely a bartering system that, that you can put in place. Someone wants to get where you are. Even if you own one unit in that town, someone wants to get that first unit. And if they're you looking got a 10 unit, you, somebody wants to right? own a 10 unit just like you. Absolutely. Do, whatever it is. Right. So yeah. they want to own a 10 unit just like you and they want to learn from you. Okay, well happy to teach you about that. And in exchange, you walk my property every few weeks for me, or you pop in a unit when they're saying it's renovated and you go cross check that for me and make sure that the tub was glazed and all that. Right. So you can definitely leverage the local group, the local people in that town to be your eyes and ears. If you can't be there all the time. What's funny, Justin, I think back to that person, I don't want to throw names out today, but I, I think back to that person that we had walking our units in Kentucky who we maintain friendship with and watched him grow and whatnot. And as we bought more and more properties, we didn't need him to be doing that because we developed more and more sophistication, boots on the ground of our own that were DeRosa staff out in the field. So we didn't need that person anymore. But he, because of the exposure we gave him to mid-sized multifamily, has expanded his business and grown into that asset class himself and has gotten more sophisticated and on his own. I'm not saying it's all because of the stepping stone we gave him, but perhaps by him looking a little bit at what we did and maybe he's opened himself to some possibilities for himself or everything like that. Maybe there's a bit of the nudge along the way that we gave him as well. So it's a win-win. We did pay him to do it. Great relationship. And honestly, he's still sending me, hey, Justin, did you see what's happening in Lexington with the tenant groups? And here's the latest news article that I'm following, or here's the thing we're working on. And it's great relationships, guys, you cannot say enough about having local relationships. Whether you're investing across the country or in your own backyard, you still need those local relationships to stay in tune with what's happening in the marketplace. So Justin, transitioning now, we've talked a lot about the asset management side of the business, which is in a lot of ways, maintaining quality, watching the dollars coming in and the dollars going out and making sure the business plan is run properly across the board of asset management. There's another side to this. And I know that bridge loans have become the third rail of real estate. Oh my goodness, bridge loans, don't touch them. They will come back into fashion. They are a phenomenal vehicle of buying real estate and that is in condition A and bringing it to the next level to condition A plus, whatever that is. So bridge loans are necessary vehicles, but you can also do a project that has a lot of construction that doesn't have a bridge loan. Either way, buying a piece of real estate is going to have a construction obligation to do repairs, renovations to it. You don't see very often buying a piece of multifamily real estate in the condition that it's in and keeping it in that condition forever without having to do any major renovations to it. What I'm alluding to here, guys, is the other side of asset management, which is construction management. This typically falls under the AM umbrella, but whether you are obligated to a bank that is going to be issuing you construction advances and paying you back for the construction work that you do on the property, or whether or not you're drawing it down from reserves that you got from your investors, whether or not you're doing the construction at a cash flow, there is a effort in managing the ongoing construction, which could be anything from replacing all the roofs to doing the major landscaping we talked about to spending a couple of thousand dollars renovating apartments as tenants move out. That is a construction effort. And there is a management energy around those construction efforts. Justin, I know you've done the CM yourself. You've got a CM team that work underneath your umbrella now. Talk to us about the CM initiatives on a day-to-day -day basis and what construction management is and what it looks like. Just to nail that point home, construction management, construction sounds like maybe new build or something. 
that umbrella is everything for renovations, any kind of renovation work. And if you call yourself a value add investor, then you need construction management. Part of your business plan is CapEx. Someone has to manage the CapEx dollars and the CapEx process. So there's typically two sides to this, Matt. You've got construction management. You could call it like a project manager, construction manager. That's typically on property. Now we're going with the 10 unit example in your town or local. If it's local, it's probably you. You're probably going to be that on-site manager. For us on our larger properties, typically a property manager will provide like the on-site construction manager. And that construction manager is typically responsible for obtaining bids. Hopefully they were involved in the due diligence process and they're obtaining bids and they're coordinating the symphony of contractors coming in and out. We had a property in Fayetteville. We had probably the best construction manager we've worked with to date. And he had three different crew coming in and out. He was managing a unit renovation process. He knew what materials were being ordered, what materials were going into units, when those contractors were coming in, when the next sub had to come in really orchestrating in a beautiful way he all the master. things that were happening on the property. That guy was an absolute orchestra conductor. I mean, I learned he was so standing much from in the him. middle of a storm with his fingers going like this. Well done, yes. and I learned a ton yeah. from him. But yeah. not every property has that. I wish every one of our properties has that. We've kind of been trying to replicate that. But the on-site person could just be the person that gets us bids, right? Okay, I need three bids for this. And then they might not really be involved until quality check. And then they're maybe doing the, the sign off at the end of the project. That's sort of like bare bones, bare minimum. Sometimes the management company will put that responsibility on the responsibility of the site team, the leasing agent, the property manager. That's not great because typically they don't know what they're looking at and they're not really qualified for that. So hopefully you've got someone on site. If you're local, it's got to be you, right? Or someone you know, it could be a contractor or something, but you want to be able to quality check, spot check, make sure that the, the quality is good. The larger, more complex, we're doing multiple unit renovations with multiple crews. You've got to get materials delivered. You've got to get contractors in. Let's say we're doing cabinets and we got to get the painters in. we got the flooring guys. There's all these different crews that are coming in and out. So it can be very, very hands-on, very intense, but hopefully you've got somebody on the ground on site doing that. Even if you do, construction management is still a huge piece on the ownership side, on the asset management side, because what construction management really is on the ownership side is controlling the flow of money. We need to track dollars. We need to approve dollars to be spent and we need to track dollars. So the construction manager's job is to approve projects. So every time we get, let's say our on the ground project managers getting us multiple bids, I'm not letting them start work until I approve that. I'm going to literally send a document that says, this is your purchase order, which is signaling approval of this project. I've selected one of the three vendors, this dollar amount, and I'm going to send you and say, okay, this project is now approved. That's going to kick off a process on my side to now fund that project. So I've got to take the money from my side, my reserves, and get it over to the property manager so that they can pay this. In the meantime, I'm cross-checking my budget. I'm putting together draw requests. I'm looking at what we're spending as compared to what we were planning to spend. I'm making sure we're not going over. If we're getting hit with change orders, now I need to move money from different places. All these sort of things as far as controlling the dollars, controlling how the dollars get to the team and what dollars are left in our budget so that we can continue to execute on our business plan. So really on the back end side, it's all about that flow of money. And if you don't, have those cross checks. And if you don't control that flow of money 
It's going to run away from you. And projects are going to get approved. The money will run away not, from you. It really will. You're not <laughs> going to have the money left. If you just let the property team approve everything and go to work and you're not providing those checks, you're going to run out of money really fast. And you're not going to be able to do the rest of your scope. You've got to track this closely. Matt, let's say we budget $10,000 a door for renovation, but we're running at twelve five a door. Well, guess what? My budget's running out 25% faster. You're, gonna, you're not going to rid of all your units. You're, exactly. you're not going to execute gonna, your business I'm, plan. Something's got to change. Rent bumps and off you go. You know, I've got to remove scope from something else I wanted to do, or I've got to do less units, or at some point you're going to run out of dollars. So you as the owner, as an asset manager, as a construction manager, have to control that gate. They control that gate of the money going out. No dollars get approved for large projects unless you are approving it and saying, yes, I have the money for this. This was in our plan. We're going to move forward. Or it wasn't in our plan, but we have to do it. I have a plan on where I'm going to move dollars around in my budget so that we can go forward with this project. And then that's going to set up a series of changes where we've got to go change our CapEx plan. So you have to be in control of that. Otherwise it will run away from you and you're going to run out of money before you know it. Yeah. And the construction manager is of course managing money and time. Those two things. They say money, time, quality. There's a joke in construction, money, time, quality, pick two. And it's somewhat true, but I also think that the job of the construction manager is to make sure that the job is done at the quality standards that you have that are going to keep your tenants happy and make your property last for the foreseeable future. That something's not going to fall apart next week. That's really what quality management in my eyes means is longevity and keeping your tenants super happy to be there. It's about them being happy, Matt, but it's also about providing the quality that the marketplace expects. I'm going to charge $1,000 for a unit. I have to renovate to what the other complexes in town are getting for $1,000. If everybody's got a washer dryer and it's a thousand square foot unit, but I'm not bringing up to that quality standard, I'm not hitting those numbers and I'm trying to skimp out, I'm not going to be able to charge the same rent. So I have to plan that ahead of time. So money, time, quality, manage all those things. On the money management side, guys, you might have the dollars, just have raised it yourself or from investors, or it could be just sitting in the bank, but the construction manager needs to manage that flow of dollars going from your bank account to contractors. Or you could be dealing with an awesome, lovely bank that is providing those construction dollars to you and reimbursing you. And that might mean that there is probably a couple inches worth of paperwork every time you want to ask the bank for this thing called a construction draw, which is really a reimbursement. The way they expect you're going to do it is you're going to go and spend the money at your property. Go and do the landscaping, do those unit turns, replace the roofs, turn those apartments and achieve a milestone. Okay, we've done enough work now, bank, that we'd like for you to come out and inspect to confirm that we did the work to your standards and to confirm with the plan. And we want you to issue us a reimbursement for those construction expenses. That journey, that back and forth with the bank, all that paperwork and the negotiation of when the inspector is going to come out from the bank and all that, that's all part of the construction management process. And just then in exchange for all this, the good news is guys on larger projects, there is compensation. You're not doing this just because you're a really nice person or because you enjoy the construction and you like putting contractors in headlocks and squeezing out timelines and dollars out of them and whatnot. There is compensation that you can build into your plan for medium and large size projects called a construction management fee that you can take. So every dollar 
that goes out the door in construction expenses, your company can take a fee for compensation of your time. And it could be part of your profit centers on top of your asset management fee, on top of the other fees that you take. And hopefully the profit share called the carve out that you get along with your investors too. So again, CM fees, it's a double-edged sword. You don't want to subject your cash flow too much here or impede your investors' profitability, but it's understood someone has to manage that construction. So whether it's a third-party construction management company or a third-party somebody, or you build a real business and you do it in-house, construction management can be done by you, by your team, maybe by you personally, as Justin did. Now, Justin has a team underneath him that runs that for him. But in the beginning, when it was just me and Justin, there was construction management that was done that we were taking a portion of the fee and paying a portion to the property management company as well for their efforts. Absolutely. Build it in your budget. That's the key there. Put it in your CapEx budget when you're putting your plan together out of due diligence, you're building your CapEx plan, make that a line item. Then you've got the money there. Yeah. And it's there. So guys, I think that those are all just great tips on construction management. So Justin, bring it home for me here. Let's talk about the long game. Meaning I'm not in this thing for six months or a year or whatever. I don't want to just buy a couple of apartment buildings, make a couple of fees and cross my fingers and hope that I can sell them for more than I paid for them. And, and then I can move to the beach in Tahiti and exit from this thing. I want to play the long game and make a career as a real estate multifamily owner. That's the listener I'm talking to that wants to enjoy the fruits of their long-term labor of multifamily ownership as we have. So give me a few tips on playing the long game as a real estate long-term owner? We invest in people. We bring on great team members for the long haul. We are looking at this as a long-term business that we're building. We're not taking all the fees out and putting them in our pocket and running away. We're investing in the business, the fees stay in the business that allows us to hire people, that allows us to bring in the right kind of people to help our business be successful. We are not planning on packing up and moving off into the night, right? The success of this project, whatever project we're doing, helps us be successful on the next project that we haven't even found yet. You know, we look at, we're stacking successes. If I don't do a great job managing this asset, this business, then how the heck can we go raise money for the next one? We have to look at the long game and we know that if we do right by our investors with the first project, that will lead to being able to attract more people for the second project and the third project. And so we don't look at it as a microcosm of a one project thing, but we're trying to be, be the right kind of people that we want to be, that we can be proud of and run this business in a way that attracts people long-term, that attracts both staff and investors and allows us to be the kind of company that can be successful in the long-term, whatever kind of projects we get into. It's people. It's not throwing quick band-aids on things. Sometimes it might be investing a little bit more money on the construction or asset management side and repair, knowing that you're going to hold something a lot longer than six months, a year. So it's not always doing the cheapest solution. It's doing something you think is going to help you play the long game more. We have a great conversation with every CapEx budget on, is this a quick fix or a long-term? And that changes the nature. And it could be that we could just paint these cabinets and get by for a few years, or you're actually kind of crumbling. If you want to own this thing for 10 plus years, you probably need to go make some replacements here. Same thing with flooring, same thing with, you know, with exterior landscape. I've seen roof, whatever. Uh, yeah, that, that I can't just keep patching the roof forever. At some point, 
you run out of roof. You can't yeah. just patch and it. Yeah. So we do, we invest for the long term. We invest to do things the right way. That ultimately helps our resale value if we've done it the right way. Even if we do end up selling shorter than we expected, we've done the right thing. We put that in and now our assets are protected longer for the next person too. And it's just the right thing to do. Yeah, it sure is. So Justin, great tips here. Guys, that's what asset management really is. It's playing the short and long game in some ways. Short game could be just addressing minor tweaks to bring about profitability for yourself. The long game is about preparing to stay in this business for the foreseeable future and being a long-term owner and addressing the big fixes and that as they come up, not just being short-sighted about it. So Justin, great tips. Thank you. Asset management, again, I said at the beginning, you're buying a business when you're buying this property. Raising capital, finding the deal, all that happens in very short bursts, but the asset management is the long game. You're going to own this thing for three, five, seven, 10 plus years. You need to have a long-term plan. Have your business plan, execute your plan, adapt your plan. Your plan will change over time. Market conditions change, CapEx things change. You're going to have surprises, but keep to that plan. Keep updating that plan and stay true to it. Run it like a business and you will be successful. Absolutely. Guys, this has been great conversations and you've gotten a little bit of an insight into the DeRosa long-term mindset that we have. And it's something that's allowed us a lot of success. And I think that we want you guys to have that too. So if you guys want to hear more about what DeRosa Group can offer you guys, just go to derosagroup.com forward slash best ever. There's a special offer for the best ever community that's there. You guys can look to join the DeRosa Multifamily Accelerator Program. If you guys are building a multifamily business as an active operator, you can go to that website and hear a little bit more about some of the free offerings we have and also about joining the select group of people that are DeRosa students that we have taken under our wing, including Justin's wing and learning a bit about his long game asset management strategies to build a long-term sustainable business. So go to derosagroup.com, D-E-R-O-S-A group.com forward slash best ever. And you guys can hear more about what we can offer because you might qualify. Not everybody qualifies. You might qualify for our accelerator program and join us in helping you 10X your multifamily businesses we have. So that's what we got today, guys. Justin, always a pleasure talking real estate shop with you about really what matters in multifamily ownership. It is sizzly and big time to talk about buying deals and to talk about raising capital, but really the money that gets made is in asset management. And I appreciate you telling us a bit about how you do it today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, guys. Hi, Best Ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and Best Ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the Best Ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.